The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the sixth chapter. Jesus said to the disciples, Beware of practicing your piety before others in order to be seen by them. For then you have no reward from your Father in heaven. So whenever you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be praised by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your alms may be done in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And whenever you fast, Do not look dismal like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so as to show others that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that your fasting may be seen not by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consumes and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The Gospel of the Lord. The gym where I work out has been noticeably quieter in recent weeks. I haven't had to drive around the lot looking for a place to park or wander around the locker room looking for an open locker, nor have I had to come early to secure a bike for spin class or to find a place to lay out my yoga mat. And maybe best of all, there's been no waiting in line whatsoever for any of the equipment. Of course, it wasn't like that a few short weeks ago. During the month of January, the place was absolutely crawling with people, but things have really settled down, you know, since about the beginning of February, all of which is to be expected, right? According to researchers from the University of Scranton, only 8% of people who make New Year's resolutions actually achieve them. 8%. And... As many as 25% of people who make resolutions abandon them by, well, by when do you think? How soon do people give up? One month I'm hearing. They abandon them by the second week in January after only seven days, one in four people will already have given up. So anyway, the gym has been noticeably quieter, and I'm not mad about that. Tonight, 
As we cross the threshold from the season of Epiphany into Lent, we leave behind the themes of light and revelation, and we usher in the theme of repentance. Our Ash Wednesday worship began, as it does every year, with Psalm 51. The words are most certainly familiar to you. We sing them regularly as part of our worship. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Those words are appropriately placed as the offering is brought forward. We sing them as we offer our gifts, indeed as we offer ourselves to God. King David wrote those words as a prayer of confession to God after his sin with Bathsheba and Uriah. But the context doesn't really matter because the confession itself is universal. King David's words could just as well be ours. Ash Wednesday worship always begins with an acknowledgement of our sin. And then, just a few moments ago, an ashen cross was traced on your forehead and these words were spoken to you, remember, that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. We're reminded on this day every year that life is short and that we will not live forever. Ash Wednesday worship always includes the imposition of ashes as a sign of our mortality, which is a consequence of our sin. There's one more thing that we have done already in this service. You can find it on the front page of your worship folder. It comes just after Psalm 51, under the heading, Exhortation. Since there is not any other time of the year when our service includes an exhortation, it seems appropriate to consider what it is and to look carefully at what it says. According to the dictionary, an exhortation is an address or communication emphatically urging someone to do something. Let me say that again. An exhortation is an address or a communication emphatically urging someone to do something. I wonder if that's how you heard those opening words. Listen again to the last two sentences. Repentance, fasting, prayer, and works of love, the disciplines of Lent, help us to continue our spiritual journey. I invite you, therefore, to commit yourselves to this journey and confess your sins, asking God for strength to persevere in your Lenten discipline. Admittedly, the full effect of the exhortation is significantly softened by the choice of the word invite instead of urge, but let's be clear. It's an exhortation, nevertheless. You have been urged to observe the next 40 days by taking up your Lenten discipline. The exhortation goes on to name four practices specifically for your observation, repentance, fasting, prayer, and works of love, but your discipline may take another form as well. Perhaps you have given consideration already to what you will give up for Lent, as is the practice for many. It might interest you to know that chocolate is the thing most often given up, but coffee, sugar, 
and pizza come in close behind. While just 40% of adults make a New Year's resolution, I wonder how many of us will resolve to observe the season with the discipline this year. Also, I can't help but wonder, when we gather for worship again next Wednesday, how many of us who take up a discipline tonight will have abandoned it already? If the stats on New Year's resolutions are any indicator, then we could anticipate that one in four of us will have already given up by then. When I was Googling for the statistics and resolution, I noticed that there were a lot of articles, understandably, on how to keep your resolution. Interestingly, I found similar encouragement and support for keeping your Lenten disciplines. In fact, one ELCA congregation has published a substantial booklet that includes the exhortation, a history of Lent, extensive notes on each of the four disciplines and worksheets to support you throughout the season. Available, obviously, because resolving to keep a discipline even for just 40 days is very hard work. Let's face it, our resolve and best intentions, our commitment and perseverance is not enough in the face of our sinfulness to perfectly observe the journey ahead. For reference on this, see Psalm 51. Or better yet, listen to the words of the Apostle Paul, who describes our nature so well when he says in his letter to the Romans, for the good that I would I do not do, but the evil which I would not that I do. So. What is the point of taking up such a discipline given the poor prognosis for success? And why, as good Lutherans, we who hang our hats on the grace of God and not on our own works, why would we want to even consider attempting such a practice? The exhortation itself answers the question by saying that the disciplines help us to continue our spiritual journey. How? How is that? They do so by driving us to God. You see, by giving our attention to repentance and fasting and prayer and works of love throughout this season, we resist the things which drive us away from God. In other words, it's a turning albeit imperfect, but a turning, nevertheless, of our hearts. And let me tell you this, our need before God is never so clear as when we understand that we cannot get this right. We cannot bridge the gap between us and God caused by sin. We cannot, no matter the strength of our resolve or the depth of our intent or the intensity of our commitment, satisfy our own deep need for salvation. But God can and has and does. Our resolutions to do better, to do more, to be better, are fragile, imperfect, and fallible. But God's resolve 
to restore and reconcile this broken world unto himself is once and for all both perfect and infallible. God has done for us what we cannot do for ourselves. So it is. Ash Wednesday worship always begins with an acknowledgement of our sin. It always includes the imposition of ashes as a sign of our mortality, which is a consequence of our sin. And it always, always and only rests on the promise of a steadfast and loving God who resolved to save us when we could not save ourselves. And this he did by giving up his only son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And that's why. That's why we have been invited. No, that's why we have been urged to take up a discipline this year and every year so that we might be reminded of our need before God, so that we might allow our hearts to be turned toward his Son, and so that we might put our trust in the power of the Holy Spirit who sustains us. May God grant you the strength to persevere in your Lenten discipline. Amen.